You're listening to the Caged In Podcast, you bullshit artist. Welcome to episode 15 of Coppola Connections, the podcast where I am shaking every branch of the Coppola family tree to find out, are they the greatest film family of all time? The way I intend to do that is by looking at every film in the collective family's filmography. And I'm joined by a guest each week. And this week I'm joined by the lovely Ella Kemp to look at Judd Apatow's 2009 comedy drama, Funny People, which stars Adam Sandler, Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, Leslie Mann, and Jason Schwartzman, making it this week's Coppola Connection. Unfortunately for this episode, there is no Patreon bonus content, just because we recorded this on a super hot day, and I was just sweating out, and... I often get quite um, aware of like stealing people's time when recording, and sometimes I just chicken out and be, I, I don't ask the question. Are you, are you okay to do the Patreon questions? So that's why there isn't any uh, Patreon bonus content for this episode. But if you'd still like to put some money in the bucket, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash caged in pod. As is the case with every episode, we will be talking about this film in spoilerific detail. There is no stone left unturned. So if you would like to duck out now, do so, or check the uh, show notes for a handy document that will tell you if and where this film is streaming. So all that's left to do is to fold away your fold-out sofa, write some jokes for a terminally ill comic, and make some Coppola connections. This week's film is Judd Apatow's 2009 comedy drama, Funny People. Our Coppola connection is Jason Schwartzman, who both plays Mark Taylor Jackson and provides music for the film's score. To help me kickstart my career in comedy, help me punch up some of my jokes and maybe become friends along the journey is writer, editor, presenter and photographer Ella Kemp. How are you, Ella? Hello, I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is it's it's, it's it's a pleasure. Yeah, um, you, you you've kind of got like a multi hyphenate like things that you do. What what what? Are, where can people <laughs> usually find you? Like, what, what are you usually doing in the world? Um, you can find me on Twitter a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am there at Ella underscore Kemp. Um, and yeah, when I'm not on Twitter, uh, I'm writing for. NME and Empire and Letterboxd mainly and then um, I'm also publishing and editing essays at The Quietus, Girls on Tops and um, Massive Cinema. Those are those are my main places but you know whoever will have me. Really. <laughs> Amazing <laughs> so yeah as I always start these off I always um, ask how did you become aware of the Coppola family as this kind of entity that they are? Was there an entry point of a person and then you realized holy shit there's loads of them? Um, good question. I mean, I think, I think I'd made a lot of separate 
I, I, I discovered a lot of them in separate mm-hmm. ways before realising that they were all connected. And I don't even know if there was a light bulb moment. It was more, <laughs> I realised it and was kind of a bit embarrassed that I hadn't realised earlier. So very much kept it to myself because I was like, oh yeah, I really should have known this. <laughs> um, I think I watched The Godfather when I was maybe 15 or something thinking, you know, I I, I should watch this. Um, and... But at the same time, I was a 15-year-old teenage girl. So I was like, oh, my God, I actually want to watch every Sofia Coppola film. (laughs) Um, So those two things are kind of happening at the same time. And then, I don't know, they've just been everywhere since. And it's like, I suppose about maybe 70% of the time that I'm enjoying a film, I'm like, oh, there's there's a Coppola in this. Like, this is why we're here. It makes sense now. (laughs) When did you have the realisation, or did you have the realisation that, like, Jason Schwartzman was also related to him because I remember when I figured that out it was a big like holy shit yeah I mean (laughs) I don't even know like probably last year or something (laughs) I don't know I think um yeah I mean he's another one who I who I discovered uh separately very much by Wes Anderson I think that was my way in with Jason Schwartzman and um he was just one of those actors who kept popping up and I didn't know his name for ages. And I just thought, oh, yeah, there's that guy that I like and like haven't gone to the effort to Google for some reason. And he was just always there every time. Um, so first of all, it was about discovering his name as mm-hmm. an, like as his own person, yeah. uh, which that probably happened about a year ago. And then realizing that he was part of this same family, maybe six months ago. I don't even know. Like, <laughs> I'm shocked that we're here at all. Um, yeah, I was annoyed more than anything when I discovered he was part of the family. I was like, really? Like, this as well? You're yeah, here yeah. as well? Um, I think yeah, it's when I, him. when I figured out his mum is Talia Shire, who was Adrian in the Rocky films, like, I was just like, my mind <sighs> melted. I was it's like... It's just... And then like, you, are we living in the world or in their world, you <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. And then you, like, you hear this, like, the story of how he got Rushmore. It's like, oh... Sophia and like knew some people who knew like mm-hmm. w- like Wes and stuff like that a casting director and he was at like a family party and it's like can there not be like a slice of nepotism that this family doesn't go but yeah, the thing you- is I would be furious if he wasn't just so good yes yeah, yeah, at yeah, everything yeah. he does like he's so <laughs> annoyingly talented that whenever I would want to come out and say anything bitter I just can't I just kind of just have to nod and be like yeah you know what fair play really well yeah even if you look at like kind of I think I figured out he is including Nicolas Cage who is like a absolute workhorse Jason Schwartzman seems to be the most productive member of that family like his kind of credits like with film and television and then we factor in music and the kind of uh, cultural touchstones that he's made like it's like everyone always thinks like Phantom Planets California is an absolute banger. It made the OC, some would argue. He wrote that yeah. song. Oh my God, did he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, the ori- he was the original drummer for Phantom <gasps> Planet. Wow. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Magic. What a great song. Amazing. Well, um, wow. as a journalist, have you ever had the opportunity to meet a Coppola at all? I haven't, no. They always seem to be this very elite. Uh, for good reason I feel like if they did uh, lots of press it would kind of remove yeah. you know the mystique around them uh, I mean they wouldn't be any less talented or terrifying or anything but um, no to my knowledge there's only kind of a select few uh, who have had the privilege and I am not one of them okay. yet <laughs> yeah yet. I, I always think like I was trying to get in like trying to get 
PR contacts and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm always worried if I say like, oh yeah, I do a podcast about their family. People will immediately be like, red flag, red flag. This guy's like got no. like walls plastered with their photos and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> that makes you an expert, which is impressive more than anything, I think. Thank you very much. Um, so what would have been the first Jason Schwartzman film that you remember seeing? Um, I mean, off the top of my head, I must it 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 must have been Rushmore, mm-hmm. I think. Or, I mean, that would have been the first main one. Obviously, as we've said, he's done so many yeah. things and 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 been in so many other things that it might have been like any Wes Anderson film. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's him, him and like, as in any other one. Yeah, yeah, not him and Bill one. Murray are kind of like duking it out for who's yeah. been in the most. Exactly. Um, but probably Rushmore, I think, was was the first big one. Uh, I think that was the that was the one that finally made me Google his name. I was like, this has gone on for long enough. <laughs> you know, I was like, now nah, we've we've got to find out who this guy is. Um Yeah, he just it's I don't know, it's interesting because I feel like when when you don't see him uh acting, like if you were just to see a picture of him, I would think, oh yeah, he is like he looks like about 80% of all of male hollywood really Mm -hmm. yeah um so i was like oh i just must be just just another one of those but then when you see him acting i was like oh my god like nobody else could do this he is just magnetic in this really weird way Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah we'll get to that we'll get to that in some way like when talking about this film um in Mm. that kind of even when he's playing like a bit of a dick he's still amazingly charming and like sweet and it's like kind of still want to be his mate um yeah so absolutely. let's talk about funny people i like having a girlfriend they don't have one but i like it better one night stands are tough and i'm not great at sex so at the end of every time i gotta go and normally i do better than that <laughs> girlfriends are so much better you finish up and you're just like well you know <laughs> that's that's how i do it Hey, George Simmons, you destroyed, man. You're the guy who was on after me? It's very hard to be romantic with women when you live on a pull-out couch. Once those two little legs come down, you know it's on, right? You were good. Maybe you can write me some jokes. I've been going to this guy's mood since the moment I can remember. This is amazing, guys. If he's like, do you have any friends that are like you but just way funnier, you can say yes. I'm going to tell you something, and I don't want you to get all weird on me. I'm dying. It's too early to know who's winning the fight, the medicine or the disease. Did anybody ever tell you a very scary accent? You are a very funny man. I enjoy your movies. And I enjoy all of your movies. Which movies? The ones where you try to kill Bruce Willis. Oh my god, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Are you crying right now? I don't think I am. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh wipe it off. People are gonna think I broke up with you. Did you tell your mom? Yes, I sent her an email and she tried to email me back on a toaster. (laughs) There is always the one girl out there that got away. This is my husband, Clark. The one that got away. Guys have that and serial killers have that. (laughs) Hey, you want to talk to me while I try to fall asleep? So you're right, that's not your real name. You're hiding some Judaism. I don't think I can hide that. My face is circumcised. When did you see this film for the first time? What were your first impressions when you saw it, Ella? I first saw this film at the start of 
2020, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that was, yeah, that was when it was. Uh, because Judd Apatow was just about to release his new film, uh, The King of Staten Island, which uh, with Pete Davidson, Davidson, which I was really looking forward to. And I'd, I'd seen some of Judd Apatow's com- comedies, but this felt like quite a big blind spot. Well, because it's, I mean, it's a comedy, but as we know, it's so much bigger and more yeah. sincere and just just so much more than yeah. than all the others. Um, so yeah, it was. I, I think it was maybe in the first lockdown, uh, so last April or something, um, back when we had lots of time. Yes. Um, and uh, which worked well for this film because it's so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I watched it then and um, uh, I really, really loved it. Um, I knew that quite a few close friends of mine who who were critics really, really loved it. So, yeah, like I was going in, um, hope, yeah. hoping yeah. <laughs> hoping to like it, really. Um, and I really did. Uh, I'm a big fan of The Great Gatsby, so uh, <laughs> that helped. And, um, yeah, I just, it, I thought it was so solid. Um, I rewatched it today. It's still great. Still so solid. Which version did you watch? Because... I know that, like you said, it's long, and then I realised there's like an extended cut as well, which is like, oh god! I think it's only like ten minutes, but like even that, then it draws it to being like actually two and a half, like over two and a half hours long, and it's like, and again, I think it's only like they just, you know, like when they do, like back in the day, it was a big thing when they do like the dirtier cut on DVD, mm. and it's like they just put back in all of the jokes that were that were on the cut i don't know i mean maybe i watched that one like the one i watched was definitely two and a half hours yeah yeah. um yeah that's interesting i i I didn't pay attention both times like where i watched because i think (laughs) i don't know when i when i first watched it it was on one streaming platform that it wasn't anyway um yeah when i when i watched it today i did have like because i knew that it was going to take a while until like leslie mann came into things which is just so bizarre to think about um <laughs> but yeah today I, I was really like fucking hell like they, they tell a they tell a lot of jokes don't they there's a hell of a lot of jokes before we get to her um yeah what, I probably watched the the one full of jokes what I find interesting about this film is and I think it's kind of like the fact it came out in 2009 this very much to me feels like if this was made now this would be perfect for like a kind of a mini series like even like the structure of it because you kind of mm. there is like a definite and i guess it's a criticism a lot a lot, lot of people have to judd apatow's work is that it it has this um it feels like two films it gets to a point mm. and like it's like oh no here's another story we're going to tell like yeah, this is kind of completely when you get to like the orpheum theater and, and leslie mann is kind of fully in the film it's like oh this is a totally different film to the kind yeah. of like buddy um comedy that we've got up until this uh mm-hmm. i always like to put people on the spot and uh ask them to give a synopsis of the film could you could you do that for us please Anna? oh my gosh um <laughs> yes i can i can remember the names of the characters not the actors which i've watched today actors is fun um okay adam sandler is a comedian who was very popular and is less now mm-hmm. he finds out that he's dying he has a rare form of cancer um 
And so, like, we think at first that what he wants to do is find a way to be funny again. So he meets this, like, up-and-coming comedian and, like, starts writing with him, well, paying this guy to write with him and write jokes. The up-and-coming comedian is Seth Rogen. Is it Seth Rogen? Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, um, Yeah, he's thrilled. It's this great buddy comedy. Um and then halfway through the film, people from Adam Sandler's past uh, like come back into his life as he, you know, thinks he's fully probably dying. One of those people who comes back is Leslie Mann. I really should know these characters' names. I I couldn't tell you. Um, I, I, I've I've got them. I'll, 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 I'll there finish them. Don't worry. That's fine. <laughs> you can notice. Um, one of these people is Leslie Mann, who was Adam Sandler's like one that got away, love of his life. Um, she's now married. Uh, and like, <laughs> I really can't tell you how this happens. That they go from her seeing him and just be like, okay, you know, we had something years ago. Yeah. I'm glad we cleared the air. To then, like, Seth Rogen and Adam Sandler go and see her <laughs> in her house. Things get rekindled between Adam Sandler and Leslie Mann. There's this whole like it's not it's not a love triangle with Seth Rogen. No, that... he's he's just there, and then the husband's there. It's yeah. like a square, um, and yeah, stuff kind of happens from there. That was my very brief, very succinct, very good synopsis. <laughs> no, 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 that was perfect. So, <laughs> yeah, you kind of um, talked about the actors, and obviously, yeah, this is a pretty stacked film. Like as you mm. mentioned, we got Adam Sandler as George Simmons. Leslie Mann as Laura, Seth Rogen as Ira Weiner, but it goes by mm-hmm. right because, no, Weiner, sorry. Weiner, not Weiner. Weiner, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have Aubrey Plaza as Daisy, mm-hmm. um, Eric Banner as Clark, as I mentioned, Jason Schwartzman as Mark Taylor Jackson. Uh, who else is in there? Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill as Leo, yeah, who kind of mm-hmm. like encapsulated Aziz Ansari, like um trying to think of and like Bo Paul, Burnham Bo Burnham Paul Reiser we've kind of My like guy. <laughs> we've got like a whole just like and I guess like there's a thing for people who are like real comedy nerds so I know like Judd Apatow isn't I know this is very much born out of a love of stand-up comedy because like when he was a kid he would under the I guess what it would be now is like a podcaster basically like duped comedians into doing interviews for him just because he loved comedy so much so like this very much feels like that and it feels deeply personal as well like because I know like the film opens with that like home footage of Adam Sandler doing um prank calls and stuff like that so I probably should ask are you an Adam Sandler fan because I guess like that kind of I don't know this film slightly hangs on that slightly or an interest in him at least um i i honestly don't think i am you know like i i don't <laughs> i don't actively dislike him yeah, yeah. um but i him being in a film won't make me see it yeah yeah like that that won't be the hook for me going to see it um so i i i think i kind of went into this thinking like i'm ready to be convinced like you mm-hmm. good luck Adam you have to make me like this film um and he did I think he's yeah well I think I think what this film does really well is um it 
manages to play with people's perception of Adam Sandler. So obviously we get these yeah. films within the films where it's, well, you look at them, you're like, they're not far off what Adam Sandler mm. actually does. Like, And I know like looking through like the DVD extras, there's even, there's even more like out, outlandish things. And then like, there's like a, uh, foreign exchange student film that he was in and like that, that and the, the cast even goes more crazy it's like stuff that was cut out of this film had like king john in it and stuff like that and it's like from the hangover and like um but yeah adam sandler's fascinating i think some people like this very much gets thrown in that thing of is adam sandler actually acting like do you mm. know what i mean it's kind of people go like oh it's it's punch drunk love <laughs> uncut gems and weirdly funny people are like the free ones. Yeah. It's like he's actually putting in a, a performance. So yeah, what do you make of Adam Sandler's performance in this film? I think he's really good. Yeah, I think he's solid. I think because he is playing a stand-up comedian who is um who is who is trying to figure out how to tell jokes again. Mm-hmm. Like that's the crux of his character is him struggling. And I think it's the struggle that, that makes his acting really interesting because it means that he has to, um, he has to find something like more vulnerable and more sincere and more complicated than perhaps a lot of the comedy that he has been known for. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the comedy that he's been known for. And a lot of people love it, but just in terms, in terms of what I just personally enjoy, um, I find this kind of performance much more interesting to kind yeah. of just deconstruct um to deconstruct that whole comedy. And I find that interesting with with all stand-up comedians really. Yeah. When they kind of really um try and peel it back, which is why I like Bo Burnham so much. Um and yeah, I think that kind of self-awareness and Yeah, because is it's just very good there. Yeah. Because he even does like some of his kind of tropes that are quite irritating, whether it's the like mm. that, that that voice when he goes like, and I speak a bit yeah. like this, and it's a bit like, yeah, oh, I so don't annoying. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry to <laughs> do it. But then like, and it's it's interesting because he like George Simmons, like we get that news like literally straight away in the film that he's mm. he's got AML, and then it's like. He's wholly unlikable for like the first, I don't know, like third of this film. Do you know what I mean? And it like he kind of treats Ira, Seth Rogen's character, like a piece. He, he treats everyone around him like a piece of shit. And we kind of like, mm-hmm. even when we get to that moment where he sits down with his sister, it's like, oh, like he's been a piece of shit for a long time. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, early doors, we get. Yeah, we get kind of him him told that and we get Chekhov's girlfriend, like ex-girlfriend as well, when we get the phone call to Laura and she's <laughs> like, oh, I'm kind of busy at the moment. It's like, well, it's Leslie Mann in a Judd Apatow film. She's going to have a big role. Um, um, so, yeah, let's, yeah, let's talk about Jason Schwartzman in this. And I think, yeah, I, I want to play a clip that I think perfectly sums up his like introduction into the film and what we talked about earlier of him being like a bit of a dick as well give you 10 days on your three-month plan no i need 80 more days than that okay i do this because i care about you i do this to motivate you but i will fuck that girl in 10 days i promise come on dude i'm not cute like you 
I don't look like Jackson Brown. I look like John Favreau. Don't do this to me. Don't make me fuck her. Well, then just don't fuck her. Don't you put me in this corner where I have to fuck my way out. He'll do it, too. He'll do it. I've seen him do this before. I'm going to go out there and warm her up. I'll see you out there. So what do you make of Jason Schwartzman in Funny People, Alan? Oh my god, he's such a piece of shit. I I, I love him. Um, it's it's so annoying. Um, he's so good in this film. Um, I find his character very interesting because I think he he is one of the few people in this film who is actually at his core a piece of shit. Because I think that George Simmons seems that way at yes. first. And then, you know, you realise there's a lot more conflict and he's very lonely and sad and kind and good and, like, Ira is amazing and, and like, all their friends are very insecure. And then Jason Schwartzman is just there and he's just like, I have a role in a sitcom. I'm going to fuck this girl. And, like, and he doesn't, he doesn't, that's it. Yeah. You know, it's not, a, it's, not, it's not a bit. That's, like, who he is. Um, and, well, yeah, it he- takes a very... <laughs> His whole thing is like, even when he seems like he's caring, like when he calls Ira, like when he's at Le- like Leslie Mann's house and stuff like that, it always seems to come back to him. Or even when he's like trying to mm. give like a kind of like the the ear to like for him to call on, he's like, yeah, but I, I, I've got these. Do you know what I mean? I've got these problems. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get that role in that Tobey Maguire film, which I thought was a brilliant, like especially with Mark's mm. character, because I know. Toby Maguire like famously said he had like this kind of gang of Hollywood actors called like the Pussy Pack or something like that. So it it feels oh like God. Jason Schwartzman is playing one of those kind of like yeah. Do you know what I mean like I am <laughs> I am going to abuse the fact that I am on on screen to to basically sleep my way around Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's. <laughs> It's very, it's just, it's just very, I don't know, I don't know how he does it. Like, he's so manipulative. Um, <laughs> and, but he does it in such a way that makes you think, that, that makes you think that you're the one in the wrong and that he is nice and that you should be grateful that he is explaining to you the errors of your ways. Um, in that way, he is the most relatable man in a film that I have ever seen. Um, <laughs> no, he's great. And I think... I don't know. It takes a very specific type of actor to 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 do it so well that he can be like this script on paper. The lines that he he has, they are undeniably like awful and cruel, mm-hmm. um, and just like so you know uh, like horrible. And it takes a specific type of actor to 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 play those lines extremely straight and like still convince you that they're really charismatic, mm-hmm. um, because he is that way as an actor. Um, and he manages to maintain that even while properly inhabiting this despicable, like, little twerk, really. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. So obviously that that thing that he, that 10-day rule that he gives Ira sets up, like, the, the kind of conflict between them two and mm. introduces Aubrey Plaza's character. And I know Judd Apatow said in an interview that, uh, that that thing that Ira does when he spills the orange juice on the table is like wholesale lifted from like his real life. Like, and I think it kind of has a different reading when you like 
basically Seth Rogen is the Judd Apatow avatar in this film. Like mm-hmm. he kind of is this guy who wanted to get into comedy and stuff like that. And I guess, I, yeah, it's, it's weird because Adam Sandler is at the focal point of this, but like, what, what do you think to the fact that like, it feels like it's almost Ira's story really of him yeah. trying to find his voice as, as an artist in some way, it just happens mm. to be like a comedian. Yeah, I mean, completely. I think, I think that like there's been a lot that's been made about how this film. I have I haven't read as to whether John Apatow has said this openly, but like, I'm pretty sure he he. I mean, he must have done about like the parallels with The Great Gatsby and all that kind of thing. Um, how basically like the dynamic between Ira, George, and um, Laura. <laughs> Like that, that George and Laura are very much, you know, Jay Gatsby and Daisy Buchanan, and and you can see it in like George's enormous mansion, which yeah. is exactly like a Gatsby mansion. But but this Gatsby is is always um, told from the perspective of um, is his name Nick? The other guy. Yeah, I, I, the I, I other don't guy. know. I'm, I'm, I'm not... pretty sure his name is Nick. <laughs> is it? Am I making up things called Nick Carraway? <laughs> Oh God, this is terrible. Um, anyway, the other guy who, interestingly, in the live action version, um, well, not Maguire. live action, as, as in the remake, yeah, um, yeah Toby Maguire. <laughs> so you know, it's all. Surely. I don't think that was a coincidence. I mean, that film that was made after this one, Funny People. But yeah. anyway, um, yeah. So anyway, my point was that uh, Gatsby is told from the perspective. I'm pretty sure it's Nick. Mm-hmm. Gatsby's told from Nick's perspective. Um, and and like and 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 Jay Gatsby is very much this this elusive figure who 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 dips in and out of his story. And I think George obviously is much more present because we start with him rather than with Ira. Um, but both funny people, but funny people very much has what Gatsby has. I I, I definitely feel closer to Ira in this yeah. throughout. I think once once we. Yeah, like once he is introduced, we kind of latch onto him and don't really leave, I don't think. Um, which works well because because the film, you know, goes o- goes all over the place. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think Ira is the one thing that remains and kind of guides you through it. Um, yeah, I, I prefer that. I, th- I think the backbone of this, and it kind of like, I don't, I don't know if it Trojan horses it, but like it definitely gets muddled in that middle section when you kind of, you're, you're with Leslie Mann and her family that it's it's about that rekindling of relationship but like yeah Trojan horses it in the way that like by the end you realize that the kind of the romantic story as it were the kind of like will they won't they is Ira and George like is this kind of like mm. will they become friends or, or are they going to kind of break through the the employer employee thing and it's like e- even the way that it's set up of why Ira is employed in the first place. It's it's not a fact of George actually needs someone to do all this stuff for him. It's like the fact that he's desperately lonely. And I think like that's what makes this an interesting film is that it could have been like a, a gross out comedy or do you know what I mean like it kind of has its cake and eat it in that respect. Like they, they go, oh, they're comedians, so we'll have plenty of dick jokes. It's fine. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we'll hit But they're you. only doing that on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, how do you feel about, like, the actual, like, performances of comedy in this? Because I know that it can be, 
any kind of live performance in film can be quite hard to nail, right? Hmm. Yeah, I think um I don't know. I th- I didn't really warm that much to the actual performances of comedy in this. Mm-hmm. Um I don't I don't love Aziz Ansari at all. Uh, <laughs> Rightfully so, so. <laughs> like watching that last year and this year I was a bit like every time I was like, okay, fine, I have to sit through this bit now. Um but I th- I think also because I think because so many of these comedians are deliberately being shown as like, you know, trying stuff out Mm -hmm. and kind of trying to make it. um, And the script is written by people who have made it. um, The rest of the script, when it's not on stage, is so much funnier than a lot of the sets that are being performed. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure that's deliberate in the point. Um, But yeah, so whenever like they were back on stage, I was a bit like, okay. We're, yeah, yeah. we're back here again. <laughs> here we are again. I, I know um, that they tried as much to get the cast to like write their own material for like their, mm. their comedy. And I think like the one person who really nails it and kind of encapsulates like I would think like oh no that actually like they could be a comedian is Aubrey Plaza. I just think like her oh, kind of she's amazing. That like moment we get when she's kind of comparing um, rap music to or, like kind of like. I'm I'm tired of being told what to do in rap music. Like, get, get your ass down yeah. on the floor and just like, I'll tell you to to give you give me your coat because I'm cold. Like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> she kind of encapsulates, especially like a spirit of that. I don't know. Like, she's got this awkward energy throughout the film, and mm. I think her her and Iris story is really interesting. And yeah, what what do you think to the way that kind of that story is handled and how that plays out? Yeah, I think. Uh... I think that 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 story is interesting, and I also like that it doesn't um, take over the film mm-hmm. in a way that romantic subplots often do. I love a rom com, romantic drama, and all of yeah. it. Like, don't get me wrong, but like in films like this, which are kind of framed as a very different kind of story, which are I don't know, just just with different characters, um, it often irritates me when you when you can see from the start that someone is being set up to be uh, a love interest. I mean, and it's always a straight relationship as well. Yeah. They're set up from the start. And then like by the end of the film, you've just given up on every other plot line. And it's just the two of them getting together. And this film, like you, 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 you have the resolution that you want in that way, but I don't think that the stakes change at all. Like yeah. she, her character doesn't become more important or or, or less important. Um, and yeah, no, I think um, she's very funny. Like yeah. she's just she's always so funny um, in a very very sharp and like quite bitter way. I think also because in this film she's one of the few. Uh, female comedians mm-hmm. um, you can really tell yeah. <laughs> like I don't know I think a lot of the jokes that the guys are telling um, like, well, like are about like having sex with girls and stuff and like yeah. you know sure but that's why I think when she's setting her stuff you suddenly realise like how refreshing and um, different it is like just, just within yeah, yeah. the context of the film um yeah. What's funny is that in the extended cut, I kind of because I kind of watched them like one of them last night and then the extended cut today is um, Sarah Silverman 
is also at that gig they play at the Orpheum. She kind of yeah, and she has like that kind of great like yeah that great like Barack Obama joke, and it turns out to be like Kanye West, and it's like oh like say the fe- the theatrical one, they just like they were like oh we've got to save some time like instead of like let's cut out a few more dick jokes. We'll cut a woman out of the film, basically. Oh my god! Okay, right. So <laughs> I don't. I didn't watch the extended cut then because I didn't see that joke in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> like, there's so many. Like, Ira makes so many different jokes about <laughs> like pull-out beds and yeah. not having sex, and you'd cut out Sarah Silverman's one. Yeah. What? That's so weird. Yeah, not great. Back to the kind of yeah the Daisy and Ira like subplot. I think like what's really interesting about this film is that she isn't like a manic tri- uh, manic pixie dream girl, and and the fact mm-hmm. that like when he confronts her, look, and he is totally in the wrong. This kind of like he's all up in his feelings about like her sleeping. Yeah, that kind of that male entitlement over like somebody who you fancy which we kind of we like, had a conversation yeah. you should have known you were promised to me yeah. yeah and it's kind of like that is like the basis for like a lot of films and we're kind of supposed to like there are films that we're supposed to basically back a guy who like mm. that is his like thing of like oh but no one will sleep with me do you know what I mean but i'm a nice guy and like the way this film handles it and like her rebuttal to him is like hey, I'm young, I'm single, I can fuck whoever I want, like, and I can do mm-hmm. do whatever I want, and, like, that, it, yeah, it, it wraps it up, like, quite, I think within 20 minutes, you have that confrontation, and then you get to, like, Thanksgiving, and they kind of, like, make up, but it doesn't, it, and, like, it kind of leaves the film kind of open-ended of, like, it doesn't have to be about them two getting together in any romantic mm-hmm. way or anything like that, it's kind of, like, but all we know and all we care is like oh, they could just be like friends who see each other at the comedy club or like hang out mm. from time to time and it's like i'm so glad it didn't go down that avenue of like being like but <laughs> but they but what i like like because it's left open <laughs> no but i like that they could but and yeah. and that crucially if they do um that doesn't have to be like the end of them as a thing yes. and i think it leans into more like just transparent and mm-hmm. um flexible yeah. relationships and that kind of thing which i think again like in a film like this is, is quite rare to 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 have that conversation that you're saying mm-hmm. between them like her plainly laying out where she is and what she wants and what she's done and what she's doing yeah, yeah. um and shutting and, down that bullshit right shutting down that comment, yeah like, who the fuck do you think you are like i'm not not betrothed to you because like you yeah you've been making eyes for me from across the street you creep like (laughs) so funny (laughs) Um, yeah Yeah, i think it's great um i've lost my notes Uh, (laughs) um i will definitely edit this bit out Um, But yeah, well, one of the things I wanted to talk about is how this film has aged. Um, and I'm not just talking about the kind of the prevalence of uh, MySpace and the kind of old school YouTube layout. Do you think this film has aged particularly well? Or is it kind of, I don't know, best to look upon with 2009 eyes? Um, well, I mean, I would have been interested to see it... Uh 
uh, more than a few years ago because mm-hmm. I think like I I watched this with 2020 and 2021 eyes. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's aged well, but I I don't really know what I mean by that because I didn't <laughs> see it the first time around. But I think I, I I feel like I went into it with very much a, a preconceived idea of all of these people. Yes. Um, and I don't know if that made me more forgiving. But then I don't think there's much to be forgiving of. Like, I don't think... What, what, what I is, think it's good. What, <laughs> yeah, what, what is quite good is the people who have turned out to be problematic who are in this film play very unlikable characters. Yeah, like, like they're not in it much <laughs> We're looking anyway. at you as these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Not, like he, he, he plays basically like most people's idea of like the worst comedian imaginable like this like so yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah i definitely think it has like this um i don't know has a feeling of i think it's yeah i think i think it's aged particularly like particularly well in the fact that yeah i think i I, I would have seen this when it come out on on dvd and i remember the first time i saw it kind of like being like i would have been like a i don't know like a teenage boy so i was kind of expecting like more of the kind of especially after what this came off the back of 40 year old virgin and knocked up Mm. yeah it's very different it's a very grown-up film and tackles Mm. like some some kind of complex issues and like stuff that now i'm yeah and i'm 30 and my like my circumstances have changed a lot it's kind of like wow like you look at it and go like Oh yeah, mortality is pretty, pretty like horrible. I'm sound. I'm making that sound like I'm really old, but like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I feel at fifteen, uh, I'm gonna live forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, completely. So, yeah. What? What? See, are there any scenes that you feel like we should like that you'd l- like to talk about with this one? Um, I mean, I think I would. <laughs> I think it's the one between. Uh, Jason Schwartzman and, and Ira, like when when Daisy is is at their the flat mm-hmm. and and kind of Ira walks in on it and realizes that Jason Schwartzman has has just had sex with her, um, and the fact that Jason Schwartzman just had he he just has this kind of apologetic look in his eyes. Puppy dog, yeah. Not like not being sorry for the situation, not being sorry that Ira's found out as if he is disappointed in Ira as a friend that Ira did not do what was necessary to mm. avoid this situation. Yeah. Like he is sorry that his friend failed basically rather than being sorry that he has like, you know, upset his friend or done the wrong thing or whatever. Um, it's just so funny. And like, and I can't, I can't remember if it's in that scene or one later, I, I think it may be slightly later, but then he says, <laughs> <laughs> and again it's just big like it's not my fault it's completely yours he goes if i didn't sleep with every girl you wanted to sleep with i wouldn't sleep with every with en- with anybody yeah. and then jonah hill is like it's true he wouldn't and i'm just like <laughs> how are we all in agreement that this is like an okay conversation to be having um which again turns it into poor jason schwartzman which i just think it's just it's just such a an elaborate bit that they yeah. keep going for so long and you expect someone to break it at some point and they never do. Um, it's so funny. <laughs> I, I, I think that is like the kind of magic of a Judd Apatow film. I know he's known to kind of like 
much leave the camera going like if you got bits to throw in and like yeah some people love it like in the, in this instance it works really well other people are like that's what i hate about these films do you know what i mean it's like trim this up mm. um a personal favorite moment of mine involving jason schwartzman is this I, i've just got to play it because i don't think i can deliver this story anywhere near as good as he can when i was younger my grandfather died and um we were all gathered around him and um there was this one candle next to his bed and right after he died the candle started flickering and then it just went out yeah and we looked around and there were no windows like nothing in that room and sounds crazy but we all we all thought it was him going to heaven you know you don't pass through fire to get to heaven i think he went to hell what'd you just say i just i think your grandfather probably went to hell don't do it are you kidding me right now I'm not, I'm not, I'm sorry. To You're going to make fun of me right now just after I opened up to you guys like that? It's not my fault your grandfather's in hell. It's not a big deal. Some grandpas go to hell. Oh, Don't be a jerk to me just because I make more money than you guys. How much do you make again? <laughs> You guys are just projecting all your hatred onto me. Okay, and don't be super bummed out because your grandfather's playing backgammon with Hitler right now. <laughs> so yeah, that that I and it's a for a film that is packed full of like great comedy talent. I think Jason Schwartzman makes a real case for stealing the show on this one. Like kind of like he really yeah. he really does well with what he's given. Like he kind of and well, because uh, he's not trying to be yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. Like his character's not, he's, he's fully believes everything. He <laughs> is completely convinced that he is hard done by and more talented and more attractive and more successful than everyone. And for that reason, we must all pity him. Um, it's well, amazing. I guess he's like got to do some level of really getting into character because uh, you can find them on YouTube. There is like, I say four, like six minute episodes of Yo Teach. So like they filmed the whole mm -hmm. episode and there's even like an EPK like video of him in character kind of like talking about what the show is and just being like this kind of like, oh yes, it's really good. I'm really good. Like just a, an absolute piece of shit basically. So like that, like, <laughs> so I feel like he, yeah, he got the opportunity to kind of not just like in his own time do stuff that is, um, like character development he kind of got to do it on on screen do you know what i mean it's, it's kind of filmed um, yeah so yeah let's talk about wow <laughs> so what yeah what do you make of yo teach do you uh, like uh if if it was airing would you watch it uh, would I watch it? I mean, I love Bo Burnham, so I would. I wouldn't be happy about <laughs> it. Um, you know, I would reluctantly sit through it. Um, it's just so like it's again the it's just such a commitment to a very strange joke that yes. like is not funny. Like your teacher is <laughs> not funny. I wouldn't watch it. I don't understand how um, Jason Schwartzman is getting like his character is getting paid on this thing like where is their money coming from who is watching this um yeah no absolutely not no way so it feels like yeah like you, you, we mentioned bo burnham like he kind of like seems to be the one who gets like the biggest speaking part from the yo teach cast like yeah i mean he has a line at um uh thanksgiving when <laughs> when uh george simmons comes in 
<laughs> and and everyone's freaking out a bit. And Bo Burnham's just like, I am a comedian. <laughs> Yeah, and George Simmons is just like great yes good for you oh I love it um yeah very funny there are some fantastic cameos in this as well and I think one that really stands out to me is the kind of like double header of Eminem and Ray Romano like that kind of like amazing that scene they have like and yeah just all of them like even if it's like that kind of round table you get with um george seeing some of his old friends and you get some like i guess yeah for people big comedy nerds i I only knew paul riser because i think he was on like mad about you or something like that but like Mm -hmm. from watching like um behind the scenes whatever they're all like old school comedy names and stuff like that and it's yeah it's beautiful so um before yeah before we start to wrap up talking about the film um i guess we'd be remiss not to talk about the fantastic Leslie Mann. No, nothing's going on around here. Uh, uh, yeah, Leslie Mann <laughs> is absolutely fantastic in this. What do you make of? What do you make of Leslie Mann in general? And what do you do? Do you like her in Funny People? Yeah, yeah, I really like her. Um, I think the first the first thing I had seen Leslie Mann in was uh, Seventeen again, opposite Zac Efron, mm-hmm. and uh, I love that film. Uh, <laughs> completely sincerely, like you know, this is for another podcast, but I sincerely <laughs> love that film. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think she's fantastic. Um, you know, I think there there could have easily been a bit of an eye roll of like, oh, it's a John Apatow film, so obviously Leslie Mann's in it. But I'm yeah. sorry, like. He fell in love with her for a reason. Like, she's absolutely fucking amazing. Um, I think she's so good in this film. Um, just very, like, very empathetic, very loving, but not, like, not cloying in any way. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know. She just strikes, she's so warm. Yeah. Um, and I could just watch her forever. Like, I think she's so good. Um, yeah, she's amazing in this. I think that's that storyline like in the latter half of this film when i first saw it i was kind of as, as i said i was what was this film 12 years old so i would have been like yeah my late teens 18 or whatever i think like that i was a bit like oh what was like what was it going a bit like this i was an idiot um but like watching it now i like absolutely love that stuff that kind of like don't know even even the peanut butter game i'm like this is so sweet mm-hmm. and like like um yeah it's lovely and to see eric banner as well who's kind of got this career of being like a kind of stoic man like kind of get to turn his hand at comedy and stuff like that is is yeah is great and i just and i leslie man i think yeah as you said like i know and i know judd apatow has said like she doesn't know she's funny, which I think is hard to believe because, like, she yeah. is absolutely killer in like everything. I think back to like Knocked Up, and there's that scene like when she's just calling a doorman a doorman for like a minute, and it's like she's fucking hilarious, and she's kind of got <laughs> that like unintentionally like funny voice, like that's kind of yeah, she's great. But how do yeah? What do you make of that kind of that? I don't know, like part two of the film and kind of how like how it kind of resolves in the fact that George goes there to get back the love of his life and ultimately she realizes he isn't the man that like she thinks she wants and 
despite his flaws and cheating, she kind of does want to stay with her husband. Yeah, I, I, it's really interesting. I think um, I actually forgot that they didn't end up together. Uh, <laughs> like I watched it last year and then watched it again today. And I was like, oh, they don't end up together. That's weird. <laughs> uh, different movie. Um, no, I think it's really interesting. Um, I think that you really believe, like when everything's going well between them, you really believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you believe like, like they're meant to be in the years in between. Um have just been a, a waste of time, I suppose. And and I think, yeah, it takes a lot of skill to be able to then turn around that kind of very credible um, affection between the two of them into also within the space of essentially an hour, because he's only got an hour on screen, yeah. within an hour, like turning it around to make you realise why actually they have grown up and grown apart and like it doesn't change the love they had those years ago and even you know on that day that they spent together um but that they're fundamentally different people now Mm. and just doing to encapsulate all of that uh is amazing i think it's 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 just the very very rich performances um yeah it's 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 weird to it's weird well no no it isn't weird but like i kind of relate to that like that the thing that uh, Laura gets held up on, and the fact that like he doesn't cry at the like her daughter singing memories mm. from cats. Even though I, I don't, I don't like cats. I don't like memories. I think it's a terrible song. But again, that's for another podcast. Uh, but like, yeah, as like I, I, I'm, I have a son, and like I'm, I'm a single parent, and like I always think of that thing of being like I don't know, like that except like i think she realizes in that moment that like unwillingness to basically accept her children and like i think it's 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 portrayed really well because it is that thing of like i don't know i often have like anxiety about the thing of like even when i'm talking to friends like like comes up in conversation about my kid and then it's like a tirade of he did this he did that like let me show this picture of him wearing sunglasses and he's really funny and like and like there there is that thing that you can get a bit butt hurt when some like something that you love so much like then people just go like yeah cool like yeah yeah he's yeah he's really, and like i guess like amplify that feeling to how it must feel when you think you love someone and they like love you wholly and then they react kind of like not in the way that like not even the way that you want, but like somebody who I don't know. I think in like that unconditional love, and I think you would you would love the kids as much as like the the person you love. It makes you realise there are conditions. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was a bit of a um, a weird tirade no. <laughs> to about my to about black kid. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, this this film totally wraps up in a kind of sweet way in that they go back to normal life after this excursion to the suburbs and um george and ira manage to become friends again when george returns the favor by writing ira some jokes like yeah do you think this film wraps up in a nice neat way ella yeah i mean i think it's nice i think i think it uh very much follows the logic of the other stories in terms of um, 
I suppose finding balance in the relationship, like it, it, it makes you realize that neither George nor Ira fully has complete power over the other, which I think we saw in the relationship between Ira and Daisy and between George and Laura and all of that. Um, And I think it's really nice that, you know, they seemingly, it's, it's seemingly a happy end, but also you can see that it is unfinished because particularly in the way that the credits literally just roll up on like the table where they're um, like during Ira's lunch break at the, Delhi where he works whatever um the fact that the credits kind of roll up over that uh I really like that because it makes you think oh they're going to carry on doing what they're doing and like eventually Ira probably will find George annoying and like George (laughs) will just like fuck up some other relationship but like you know it's fine we 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 can come back to this scene and in a couple of weeks maybe they'll be at this table writing jokes again um and I like that I think yeah it wraps it up really nicely that, yeah, it's the fact it like kind of ends on ellipsis that like we've just been privy to like a moment in some people's lives as opposed to like this is a definitive story of like yeah I don't know it's kind of like yeah you feel like a fly on the wall of like um some, some goings on um but yeah before we wrap it up I m- must ask you what you think of Jason Schwartzman's music he has on the score for this so he has uh, a couple of tracks um that are. Yeah, under under the name Coconut College. Uh, no, co- uh, yeah, it's Coconut something. One second, guys, I'll get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Jason Schwartzman. Um, yeah, he's credited as like one of two um, composers on this Coconut Records, and like he's got this. Uh, yeah, like. So you would you you'd probably recognise it. I think it's over over like DVD menus and stuff like that. People at home listening, but so are you aware of um, Jason Schwartzman being being a musician and the kind of like music that he puts out, Ella? Um, I loosely was aware of it. Um, clearly not to, to the full extent because the Phantom Planet trivia has blown my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, I think his music's fine. Yeah. Um, I know that sounds like a negative thing, but it's not. I do think, I do often think um, in films like this, uh, by which I mean Judd Apatow comedies slash very starry um i don't know just like very starry uh romantic like comedy dramas in hollywood like i'm thinking of um i watched uh sleeping with other people the other week with jason sudeikis and um alison brie which Mm -hmm. is so good (laughs) um but just like in films like that where it's very much about the actors um i don't really tend to notice the music or or even just like the cinematography or just just much technical stuff. Um, I don't know if that's just me. My brain just kind of melts when I have like too many actors to look at who I really like. Um, but yeah, I I can't say the music made much of an impact on me today I, at all. <laughs> well, I think it's something like music in comedies anyway. Like kind of very much seems like an afterthought. And like this, this weirdly does have like it has like tons of needle drops. I think like definitely do the job of a score do you know what i mean it's like as like mm. that kind of warren zevon track when he's making him the playlist and like 
gets George choked up or it has like George even like playing music or as we mentioned it has memories yeah. from cats and it kind of like mm-hmm. has all these like big like yeah James Taylor who performs in the like do you know I mean it, it very much yeah, feels yeah, yeah, like yeah. your dad's record collection but like every yeah. song is playing playing its part um amazing so uh, yeah as as I like to wrap up these um I always like to see if you managed uh, I've got a couple if you didn't um find any Coppola connections within this film people who are either in it or worked on it who pop up in other films that happen to have um another Coppola family member in them did you manage to find any of that oh god I don't think I did don't worry I've did got, you I've, have oh, you yeah, I, I've got <laughs> I've got a few uh so Adam Sandler is in Little Nicky with Patricia Arquette who at the time uh-huh. was married to Nicolas Cage and is also in Airheads which Jason Schwartzman's older brother John Schwartzman is the cinematographer Aubrey Plaza cool. uh, is in Scott Pilgrim versus the world with Jason Schwartzman again and is in A Glimpse in the Mind of Charles Swan III, which is directed by Sophia Coppola's brother Roman. And then let's close it out. Leslie Mann is in The Bling Ring and The Croods 2. Oh, uh, yeah. Opens, yeah. All right. July 16th. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. As I like to score these films, Ella, I always ask, what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film? Hmm. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it would definitely be a red. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, oh, I mean, I vaguely know, but I don't really know loads about wine. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't. It, it wouldn't be anything too intense. It w- I'll tell you, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be anything too intense. It's because it has to be smooth enough for you to, like, keep drinking it throughout two and a half hours. Yes. So <laughs> it has to be, like, mellow and kind of warm and not too spicy, not too fruity. Just just very kind of solid, smooth, so that you could keep drinking it and not get distracted by the wine throughout the two and a half hour runtime. Perfect. Yeah. And would you rate this as a... Bottom shelf, mid shelf, or top shelf wine, aka, is the film good or bad? I, you know what? I'd, I would, I would honestly say top shelf. Top shelf, yeah. I'd you're getting on your tiptoes because... to get that wine. Huh? <laughs> you're getting yeah, on your tiptoes to get that wine. I would because, you know, I'm not saying it's top of the top shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are many things on the top shelf. It is one among many things which are mm-hmm. top shelf. Perfect. I would say. um and yeah what i like to do is just just so we can kind of i don't know well i i these questions i'm so glad i'm on this end of it as opposed to answering them um the first one is which coppola family member would you keep but in doing so you get rid of the filmographies of the entire rest of the family Jesus Christ. Um, you can be totally selfish to... as well. You can be totally selfish. It doesn't have to be like, this person did this for some yeah. history. Like... I mean, I think um, I, ha- I have to follow my gut on this one because otherwise I this would be torture. Um, <laughs> I have to keep Sophia Coppola um, and get rid of everyone else. I'm really sorry to no. everyone else. No. But, you know, Wait. teenage girl forever. She's got this perfect, like, I don't know, with six film filmography that kind of like 
every film has something yeah. to offer. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, yeah, I need, fantastic. I need them all. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So are they the greatest film family of all time? Oh, um, like probably, I don't know. <laughs> again, I have to go with my gut. I can't think of anyone else. Um, it's, it's an impossible question because there's so many of them. Yeah. I think like they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, look, I'm trying to think if I lived in a world without the Coppola family in film, that would be terrible. Like I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think, yeah, they, they must be the greatest, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've talked about it a lot on this <laughs> that like they have like weird ripple effects on other filmmakers, like even as far back as like George Lucas. It was Francis mm. Ford Coppola who kind of took him under his wing. And then Spike Jones, like it was Francis Ford Coppola again who gave him the script for being John Malkovich because he was This is just insane. <laughs> at, yeah, he was at the time he was <gasps> dating or married to Sophia. So it was like that yeah, thing yeah, of yeah. like and then you think, like, if he didn't have that great breakout film, would he still just be making oh. jackass and skate videos? Like, not that there's anything wrong with that. that. Yeah. Like, and, that, yeah, there's all these all these kind of, I don't know, it's how you look at it. It's like Patricia Arquette wins an Oscar after being married to Nicolas Cage. I'm not saying that there's any correlation, correlation <laughs> there, but like, there's all these kind of, like, um, exactly. tendrils yeah. that go on. Um and possibly the most important question of this podcast is what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? Hang on, give me a second. <laughs> give me a second. Um, he says, I fucked up my karaoke choice. I meant to sing This Would Be The Place. Perfect. This must be the place. Fuck. Oh, I fucked up my one line. Shit. <laughs> God. Well, anyway, he says that. He talks about karaoke. Amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. That... What does he say? What do you think he says? I'm I'm, I'm keeping tight lipped on this because I, I feel like it has to be like a a grand reveal for like the end of the know? podcast. Do you know? No, no, no. I don't know. It's all, it's all, oh, okay. it's all totally open to interpretation. Oh, okay. Fine, fine, fine. Yeah, yeah. That just... isn't okay. No, we'll wait. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I'll tune in. I'll tune in. No problem. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a way to get. So the final episode of the podcast, every other previous guest will tune in. It's it's a way to spike the numbers. So I'm playing the real yeah. long game yeah. here. Smart. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've, got, I've got like 250 yeah. films to go through before I get there. But oh like, my god, the I real... rate it. No, fair play. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that would be the excellent, uh, the 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 ultimate karaoke choice i think that's my go-to talking heads this must be yeah. the places yeah absolute perfect um again Ella, where can people find you if they want to kind of um hound you on some of your answers on this or kind of uh give us some stick at if, we, if we've mentioned anything or didn't mention anything about the film or they disagree with us oh god the pressure now um you can find me on twitter i am at ella underscore kemp um and you can follow me on letterbox my name is ella kemp um and um yeah please be kind to me i'm only <laughs> small <laughs> don't worry I will, I will i will take the brunt of all of the all of the negativity if people disagree with anything we've said on this episode you know. 
I'll be done. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for coming and making some Coppola connections with me. Thank you for having me. So there we go, another connection made, another film down, and another vote for the Coplers being the greatest film family of all time. As me and Ella discussed there in the outro, if you have any differing opinions about this film, get in touch with me, leave Ella well alone. And you can do so via all the social media, so that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd, all at Caged In Pod, or you can drop me an email, cagedinpod at gmail.com. As for next week on the podcast, I am joined by one of my favourite podcasters from from one of my favourite podcasts, and that is Daryl Bear from the fantastic, the sublime, one of the best to ever do it, the triple build titled podcast, absolute wizard, that is Daryl Bear from Southern Double Deep. So I do hope that you will join both of us then to discuss Taking of the Pelham 123, which is scored by David Shire. For any US listeners, if you haven't had the chance already to watch Michael Sarnowski's Pig, do be sure to go see it in the theatres, or as of today, you'll be able to catch it digitally. So download it rent it enjoy it it is a fantastic nicholas cage performance all the reviews are right it's beautiful it's kind of transcendent he's um it's emotional it's 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 wonderful and if you've enjoyed the film do head back and listen to my episodes with brett w buckman the editor of the film who also edited mandy in color out space as well as the actor david nell who has this perfect beautiful scene alongside Nicolas Cage and Alex Wolfe that when you've seen the film you will know the scene I'm talking about exactly those listeners in the UK who managed to get tickets to Fright Fest this year there is the European premiere of both Prisoners of the Ghost Land starring the one the only Nicolas Cage and um, friends of the podcast Spectavision have their new film No Man of God um, starring Elijah Wood, this is a Ted Bundy film. Um, I'm going to be watching both of those films at Fright Fest, so if you're there, come find me. Say hello. For Prisoners of the Ghostland, I will be hanging about outside afterwards to get some first reaction interviews from people. So, yeah, it'll be great to see some of you, and I very much look forward to meeting you. So if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you're listening to this right now. This has been Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and me, Petros Patsilovus, your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. So remember to keep it caged in, and I'll catch you next time. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, 
leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.